thought leaders, storytellers and griots sharing personal highlights on Stories of the Week. So this is where we look at the stories that have taken place during the week and it's not necessarily the headline stories. It may be between the pages on the third or the fourth paragraph of some article, but they're stories which we believe should be taken notice of and certainly have information or uh, intelligence that can take us forward in the world. Today we're going to start off with Matthew Coffey Okran. He's the Professor of Economics and also the Deputy Dean of Academic Affairs at the Faculty of Economics and Management Sciences, this at the University of the Western Cape. And Prof. Okran wrote an article which was really looking at uh, South Africa's economic reform ambitions and how they fall short of what's required. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Michelle, and good morning to you and your listeners. You know, Professor, I think what I was interested about with this particular article was there were two areas that that deserve conversation. Well, a lot of it deserves conversation. But the one was the issue of how we look at legacy. And then you spoke about um, additional constraints. But it, it started to make me think of the concept of the binding constraint, that there is a constraint, which simply, if it cannot be resolved, we cannot move forward. So perhaps you could first of all give us an overarching view of the article, and then let's take a look at the legacies and binding constraints. Right. So, I mean, the the the, the view, my view regarding the, I mean, structural reforms have been talked about for for many years. It's yeah. not uh, something that I've just come up all of a sudden. And structural reforms have come up because economic growth has been disappointing. It has been disappointing for, for many years, almost yeah. close to a decade. Yeah. And in recent times, if you, you, you remember, we had the National Development Plan and the assumption or the expectations from that plan was that we're going to have economic growth of around 5% per year That's right. uh, over a period of time. Certainly, that has not happened, and we have struggled to have an average growth of 2% over the period. That we would so clearly, be lucky. <laughs> yeah, so, so the, the National Development Plan agenda hasn't, hasn't really materialized. Now, the 2% that I talk about is the average over a considerable period of time, but we also know that over the past uh, couple of years, we have recorded uh, negative growth. I mean, sometimes we struggle to get 1%. Yeah. So the growth story has not been uh, has not been helpful, and, and when that is looked at against the background of the challenges that the economy faces, unemployment, inequality, and all that, uh, it, it means that we need to look at this matter more closely, and that's why structural reforms comes in. And indeed, uh, it's been talked about. The ANC itself have produced a document, and they highlight the need for structural reforms. Business South Africa. <clears throat> have also indicated the need for reforms. The Treasury has also pointed out uh, the need for reforms. And it appears that the, the, the government or the ruling party has not really have the courage to go ahead with the reforms. And, and whilst there are a number of reforms that the various constituencies have highlighted, and here I'm referring to the ANC's Transformation Committee, and the Treasury itself, Business South Africa, the issue of industrial concentration, uh, SOE management, labor market reforms, 
uh, with state capacity. These are issues that are already on the table. However, we don't seem to see any plan to to implement them. And and I'm saying that even beyond these these, uh, reforms, uh, there are other areas where other institutions, like the Reserve Bank uh, and and professional bodies, uh, can also support the reform agenda. So, so, Prof, you know, you raise something interesting. You say implement. You talk about implementation. Yesterday, right. I was at a workshop for the Lulamiti scenarios, and one of the issues that was raised was this idea that we can list, as you've noted, SOE management and the like. We can make a list of all the. As I don't want to call them the ills, but but for want of a better word, we can make a list of all those ills, but. To list them is not, as you say, to implement them. Now, if, if we were going to implement, what would be the top three of the list that you would say implement and how could we do that? I will talk about with state capacity. And, yeah. and I think South Africa's problem is not about money. It's not about resources. Yeah. Indeed, if you look at taxes, we are probably one of the few countries that are overtaxed. In the sense that the, the, the proportion of economic activity or income that are taxed as compared to uh, other emerging economies uh, is quite high. And, and on the average, uh, I mean, if you look at the 20 major market economies, the, the, the tax to GDP ratio of South Africa is the highest. Yeah. It's around uh, 27%. Uh, even though it has weakened because of the, the, the weakening, the shocks, uh, but it's so high, so one of the highest. Now, so for me, I was disappointed when I saw that the minister is thinking about increasing taxes going forward. I mean, that's, that's counterintuitive. We don't want to do that at, at a time where the economy is, is in dire straits. Yeah. So the issue is really state capacity. We can throw all the money and all the resources we want. If the capacity to implement and to manage you know, the infrastructure spend and all that is not well uh, oiled and well organized and efficiently implemented, we will not get much from it. I mean, think about the resources that have been pumped into PRASA, uh, Traslet, ESCOM, you know, for the infrastructure expenditures. And, and, and in recent times, we, we are learning, really, that a greater proportion of those resources are going to waste. Yeah. So it's not really about money. It's about capacity and and as a developmental state we need an active state but you cannot have an active state that is incapacitated in the sense that it is weak it doesn't have the skill it doesn't have the will to do the right thing wow and you say you mean issues you... about labor market reform yeah uh, we have a greater proportion of unskilled population so we need labor intensive industries now, for labor-intensive industries to thrive, we need to have a flexible labor market uh, where, uh, of course, I mean, uh, low-skilled uh, employees cannot expect to be paid very high wages. Uh, that will not be profitable. So, so, Prof, there's so many questions that I'm, I'm, and I'm yeah. trying to decide which one am I going to ask you. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. You so know, many of them. so one of them that, and I'm going to, then I think I'm going to focus on three. So the first right. one I'm going to focus on is, yes, we're going to, we have to have a labour-intensive um, environment, and 
Um, I'd, I'd like to understand where you think labor intensivity starts. And I'll tell you why I ask this is because to, in my mind, that is the mining sector. And I suppose what concerns me is that that's not sustainable. The mining sector is not sustainable. I mean, agriculture perhaps is possibly a labor intensive, but I'm trying to think what would be labor intensive that has a way into the future that is still sustainable? I mean, we can't keep digging the soil forever. Yeah, Michelle, you're right. I mean, if you look at the employment in mining over the years, it's been shrinking. Uh, the mining sector has been uh, has been uh, losing a lot of jobs. Yeah. I think where there's hope is manufacturing. Ah, and, yes. and, and you think about the clothing industry, for instance, and uh, I saw a very beautiful chart uh, where the real wages in the clothing industries have increased over the years and employment have uh, reduced. So there's a divergence between increases in real wages and employment increases yeah. for manufacturing. I mean, think about Vietnam, uh, Ethiopia, other new countries that are emerging that are becoming the manufacturing hubs. These are countries that uh, create, allow some flexibility in, in, in wage determination to allow uh, labor-intensive industries to thrive. Yeah. Okay. So let's take that and I'm going to move on because I know I have to close off, but I do have two more questions. So we spoke okay. about the binding constraints, which, you, you know, you in your article, you do talk about additional constraints, but ultimately there is the binding constraint, which means right. that for, for our listeners, what that means is that there is something which unless we break that, we can't mm. move forward. What's our binding constraint? So, what, so the, the, the premise is that Monetary policies, fiscal policies are inadequate. Yeah. The Reserve Bank is doing a great job in maintaining price stability, which yes. is incredibly critical for growth. But there's a limit to which monetary policy in itself can support growth. Yeah. Now, on the fiscal policy side, uh, of course, a lot of resources are being wasted. Uh, efficiency of, of, of investment is critical. But beyond that, there are additional constraints. And, and one of those constraints is around uh, uh, professional bodies, I mean, institutions. Yeah. Now, structural reforms, structural reforms really basically refers to legislative and, exactly. and, and, and legislative reforms that, that enhances uh, productivity uh, and growth. So yeah. it's about regulations. And that's why it is disappointing when the minister talks about, you know, taxes and all that and doesn't give any clear indication about the legislative and the regulatory reforms that are going to underpin, are going to deal with the binding constraints. Indeed, the binding constraints are well known, you know, around industry concentration, SOGs. And in fact, the elephant in the room is ESCOM debt. And that's going to come as a shock, but it's, uh, it, it's something that's going to hit us. ESCOM has a debt of almost 500 billion rand. Yeah, so Think that. about how we struggled, you know, in raising 10 billion for SAA. Now, if we've got to raise around 100 billion to bail out ESCOM, uh, you can imagine the implications and the trade-offs that will come with that. You know, you, you talk about that ESCOM 500 billion rand, and one of the things I was thinking is with such a huge debt, what it yeah. does imply is that we, we're almost like a socialist state. People are getting their electricity for free. Otherwise, it would not, I mean, you know, because 
because the payment is not there, therefore there's debt, if I'm not mistaken. So well, how, do we, from, how do we change yeah. that? Even if people have to pay five rand for electricity a month or yeah. one rand. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, even, yeah. I'm not joking. I'm, I'm, I'm saying how do we change our approach as citizens to say, okay, um, I'll pay, but I'm going to literally pay whatever I can. So I will pay 50 cents at the end of the month or I'll pay a rand at the end of the month. And if everybody just said, I'm going to do what I can to shift the conversation. Yeah, I, I think ESCOM must be allowed to collect its debt and, and politics shouldn't come to play here. Yeah. And like any other institution, when you owe them, they will do whatever it takes to collect their debt. And I think they must be allowed to do that. But over and above that, I think the waste of resources at ESCOM must also end. And, uh, and the two will be required going forward. Yeah. Yeah. Prof, in closing, unfortunately, we do have to close. You've mentioned it twice and not in the best terms. So I'm going to assume uh, that you didn't rate the um, the budget speech uh, as a 10 out of 10. What would you rate it as? I'll probably give it a 4 out of 10. Whew. 4 out of 10. Yeah, because, look, there wasn't anything new. I mean, these things have been talked about over the years, but yeah. there was no tangible response that demonstrates uh, that, look, now we're really ready to move and do one, two, three, and four. And remember, business confidence, consumer confidence are critically important for economic growth. Mm. And, and I don't think the budget in itself inspires uh, confidence uh, in, in business circles. Professor, we have to leave it there, unfortunately. That's Professor Matthew Coffey-Okran. Always good to have a different view. Professor of Economics and Deputy Dean of Academic Affairs at the Faculty of Economics and Management Sciences at the University of the Western Cape. Now, there's an interesting place to go and study, for sure, in that particular department. It sounds fascinating. Thank you for that. And I suppose we could also say, well, four out of ten for the finance minister. But I would give him ten out of ten as tourism ambassador for Mahubus Kluf, that's for sure.